So this week we're going to go into yet another direction in the Psalms. Um, and I'm not going to promise that it's the most joyful direction, right? We're going to be, we're going, to be going through Psalm 42, and this is a, a, a psalm of lament. So if you will stand with me as we read from Psalm 42. This is on page 469 uh, of those hardback ESV Bibles in your row. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, then out by the connection table there are some Bibles that you can take. Um, just ask someone out there, and uh, you can have that as a gift. So when you get a chance, just make your way out there. So Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls, out, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, this morning, um, for the sun, and that we get to gather together uh, and worship you. I just pray that as we work through a psalm of lament, that we will um, just feel feel some of the heaviness that comes along with it, and I just pray that you help us to, um, to know that we have a God that we can come to with all of our troubles and our pain, and that we know that ultimately you will restore us to you if we put our faith in you, and I just pray that uh, you work past, past uh, work through me in a way that um, just speaks to people, and I just ask that uh, you would be with us today. And help us to remember your love for us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So before I hop into the text, I kind of want to lay out just the general direction that um, I'll be going as we walk through this psalm. So first I'm just going to give a little bit of a background of the psalm. And then I'm going to give kind of an overview of all that's happening within Psalm 42. And then we'll end with some ways to respond to spiritual depression uh, and discouragement. So like I said a minute ago, this is a psalm of lament. Uh, this form of psalm would have been composed when all was not well. It's a good time, honestly, to walk through a lament because uh, there, is, there is much to feel heavy about this week. Like we talked about earlier that Nathan talked about, uh, it's obvious that all is not well. So a quick aside about that, um, I just wanted to give some encouragement. In times like these, we have to remember 
the countercultural witness that we have here uh, as a church in the time of, of national disunity. We have to model unity. And in a time of fear, we're called to be courageous together, to be unified and bear one another's burdens. As followers of Christ, we're called to love and to point people to a king who will ultimately bring peace and justice and make, and make all the horrible pain and the confusion and the suffering and the hatred end. So it's a good time to walk through a lament because they express emotions that are felt in times of great sorrow or loss. In the laments and the psalms, the psalmists open their hearts honestly to God, and this heart is filled with sadness and loneliness and perplexity and grief and fear, abandonment or anger. One of my favorite uh, things about the Psalms is the fact that they pretty much show all the forms of, of human emotion, right? Naturally, and very much culturally, we love to learn about the things that we know are joyful and happy. We love to know that things are good. In the Psalms, we love to learn about the grandness and the awesomeness of God like we talked about last week. But not often do we like to get into the kind of the muck and the mire and into the pain and the suffering that is expressed. On the large scale as Americans, and probably even more so here in the Midwest, uh, I, would, I would think that we aren't as open about our faults and our failures and our issues. We're just not taught really to show our weaknesses like that. But the Psalms kind of turn this mindset on its head. We learn that within the scope of the Christian life, there is room for all emotions. We've got to fight hard to be a church in a community that allows space to be free to express this pain and allows, and allows space to, to show deep hurt to one another. We've got to be a community of people that do not just try to give the vibe of being okay, you know, kind of that culture of just like saying, oh, hey, how are you? I'm good, you too. You know, like we do that a lot, and that's not good because it's not really a culture of openness and honesty and transparency. The fact is we hurt. Physically, we hurt. Emotionally, we hurt. Spiritually, we hurt. And if we're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've never really felt any pain or suffering in my life. I have a little news for you that it's coming. Right? At some point, you're going to be hurting. And at some point, like the man in this psalm, you will be down and spiritually broken. The fact is, sin in our lives causes pain both to ourselves and to one another, and the outside effects of sin in our broken world bring us suffering. And this is the place where we have to be able to walk with each other and be weak and admit that we cannot do this life on our own. So we must rely on God and the community he's given us. We can go in so many directions with a psalm like Psalm 42, but the fact is we just don't really have enough time to go into all the issues of pain and evil and suffering or the ways in which to approach dealing all of these forms. So we would need kind of like a whole sermon series to do that. Um, but today I just want to focus broadly on the theme of handling spiritual depression and dis- or discouragement, kind of the feeling of being far from God and how to lament well. So I'm not going to be talking about clinical depression when I use that word today. Um, that's a really serious thing that I think we as a church have to uh, be willing to talk about and walk with others through. But I'm honestly not qualified to talk in generalities about how to, to, to handle that. So I'm going to kind of stay away from that. Um, but Psalm 42 is a great place to learn about lamenting well 
and about how to handle just discouragement and spiritual kind of depression. So notice how at the beginning of the psalm, if you look at the little title there, right, it says, To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So the sons of Korah were a group of priests that were charged with the ministry of singing. So this heading implies that this psalm was one that was most likely used in public worship, and it was sung. Psalms are are poems that are meant to awaken and shape the emotional life of God's people. We were created with emotions and not just thoughts, and our emotions are really important. The second thing to notice in the heading is that this psalm is a, a masculine. So in Hebrew, it's not completely clear what that word means, but it comes from the verb that means to make to make someone wise or to instruct. So if we apply those, those type, that heading to this psalm, it, it may mean that the song instructs or it is wisely crafted. So even though it's a poem of lament, there's also wisdom in it. So that's the background, and now how I'm going to proceed with the rest of it is just give a quick overview kind of of what's happening here, um, specifically um, in this psalm, and then the ways that we are to respond to the spiritual depression and discouragement like the person described in the psalm. So we notice that right off the bat, the external circumstances are oppressing, right? The man is away from the congregation in Jerusalem here. He's away from his people for some reason, and we see in verse 3 that people are questioning him, and they're saying to him all the day long, where is your God? Verses 9 and 10 say that the enemy is taunting him. He says that the taunts of the enemy are as a deadly wound in his bones. So it's clear that the external forces around him are not good, and naturally, internally, things also aren't good. He describes that his soul is cast down in verses 5 and 11. In verse 3 he says, My tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever been there? Where all you feel like doing is crying? You're just at your wits end and nothing is going right and all you have to do, all you want to do is just stay where you are, stay in bed, and cry. In all honesty, I've had those times. He, he even equates the feeling to drowning here. In verse 7, he says that all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. But despite all these external and internal factors and all of this, we see that the psalmist is fighting for hope. In verse 5 and 11, he tells himself, right after admitting that he's downcast, to hope in God. There have been a lot of, my t- a lot of times in my life that I've had to tell myself this. Even in my young life, there have been times where spiritually I just... I'm not in a good place. And all I have to tell my and I have to tell myself consistently, Jesse, hope in God. The season will pass. You will praise him again. Look to Jesus, because the dawn's coming. So his external events are oppressing, and his internal self is depressed and in turmoil, but overall he is fighting for hope in God. So that's kind of the setting that we have here. So what we're gonna do now. Um, is talk about what to do when we're in situations like this. When all the external factors are against us and when internally we seem to have no answers. We know that we are not leaning on Jesus as we should. We aren't resting in his promises and we know we can't do it on his own, our own. So Psalm 42 offers a couple insights into this and I'm going to walk through um, some that I think are key for us both as individuals and as a community 
And I'm going to bounce around a little bit like I have been because the fact is psalms are poetry. So it's necessary at times to move around, kind of piece things together, because the layout is just not always linear. We've been going through Romans, so I know that we've been used to that, kind of just working down a passage, right? And we've been uh, just laying out like a theological truth or a nice argument. Um, But in the Psalms, we have to take a little bit here and a little bit there and just kind of piece it together. So first we see that he asks God why. In his discouragement and depression, he asks a question. In verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Honestly, I would say that the word forgotten kind of is um, an overstatement, right? We see in verse 8, just before that, that he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. What is meant here is that it looks like God has forgotten him, and it feels that way. In time of trouble, I think it's a perfectly human response to ask why. He doesn't have to be so composed and correct in his expression of his spiritual discouragement. As a quick side note, I think that this is important for us as we interact with each other, when we care for one another. When someone is going through a tough time or some form of suffering, we're not called as brothers and sisters in Christ, to correct them and make sure that they have theological and linguistic precision. We're called to listen, be present, and care for one another. So let's battle against being so heady that we lose our compassion and heart and love for one another. So he asks why. Why, God, would you allow this to happen? And that's okay. We have a God who welcomes these questions. Next, we're going to see that he affirms that God has sovereign love for him. Verse 8 says this, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So despite all the ways in which it feels like God has forgotten him, he knows that's not the case. He believes that God is sovereign over all. In verse 7 he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So he understands that overall, God is in control of what's happening. All your breakers and your waves, is what he says. He never leaves or forgets these great truths of God. In your own life, how many times has God's truth comforted you? Even though we can't explain all the reasons that things happen in our lives, is it not more comforting to know we have a sovereign God who loves us? And that throughout all our trials and tribulations and hurts and pains, God loves us and ultimately will will bring his people through all the troubles in the end. So the man here is preaching to himself. This is so important to do. Verse 5, again, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We have to preach truth to ourselves in times of suffering. If you put your faith in Christ, then you can rest assured that he has suffered for your sins and is triumphant over death. So when we feel spiritually depressed, you can preach to yourself. Take Romans 8, for example, the text that we studied not too long ago. You can say this, Hey, self, if God is for you, then who can be against you? 
He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? So we also need to preach the gospel to each other, right? We can't do it on our own. We know that. When we go to one another with our hurts and our pains, we have to care for each other with gospel healing. Yes, in the initial stages of the issues, you don't just want to Jesus juke someone. We've talked about that before, right? Like, oh, you feel depressed and far from God? Well, remember that Jesus died for you, and he has made a way for you to have everlasting joy in his presence, so you're going to be all right. (laughs) That's not what we do. You bear their burden, and lovingly, in the right timing, you remind them that they can hope in God and will again praise him. And that Jesus will one day make all the things right. And even in this time of sorrow, there is a way to find healing. So that's what we got to do. We must preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another in a loving way. Another way that the psalmist responds to his discouragement and depression is by remembering past experiences. Verse 4 says this. It's only a matter of time until I did that. Knock some of these down. Verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So this is showing showing us the importance of corporate worship here, right? Something that far too often I think we take really, really lightly. I'm guilty of this. There are Sundays that I do just show up, and really that's all I do. I come, I go through the motions, I print your bulletins, I say hi, I converse with a few people, I sing songs, listen to a sermon. Sometimes I don't even listen to the sermon. I say goodbye and then I'm off. But that's really not, that's not the design. What we do here is real. This is a real gathering where we worship God corporately. And we image the universal church locally. If corporate worship were not some supernatural work of God, then the psalmist here in this verse would just be remembering these past experiences for nostalgic purposes. That's not what he does, though. He is confirming his faith by remembering how real God was in corporate worship back when he was in Jerusalem with the community of believers. It's something that we ought to wrestle with. Do we gather together to just check it off the list? To come and create some connections, maybe network a little bit in Bloomington. We need to realize what's at stake when we enter these doors. The building itself is not important, right? What is important is that when we gather as a people, we do so to worship our God and let the world know what a great God we have. So the psalmist reminds himself of how real God is by his experience of gathering with God's people to bring praise to their Lord. The last thing we'll look at is how the psalmist responds to spiritual discouragement. Or the last thing we're going to look at of how he responds to this discouragement is his thirst for God. It took us this long to get to the first verse. And it says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? So as a a kid, I grew up uh, in a very solid church. Honestly, I could not have asked 
for much more, specifically from a theological standpoint. They were smart. Um, but we did have interesting Sunday mornings. We, uh, in total, the whole time of our, of our service was two hours. So the whole first hour was worship time. And then we had a 15-minute peace time. So if you don't like our three- to five-minute peace time we have here, you just think about what we could do to you. <laughs> but anyways, at the end of the worship time, we would, we would all just be quiet right, for a minute, and we would use this for personal prayer. So we'd all stand up, and for about 10 minutes, we would just be quiet. And people would be praying. Some people would, some people would actually just pray out loud. In fact, that's what a lot of people did. And they would just offer up any prayer. And every now and then, someone would just start singing, which maybe seems a little weird to us. But I grew up with that, so I just like, when I came here and we were just quiet, I didn't really know what to do. So then everyone would join in, too, if they knew the song. And they would put the words on there, and the band would start playing, and everything would just get going. And my pastor loved to do this. And I loved him dearly, and I still do to this day. But I remember as a kid that he loved one certain psalm, one hymn, excuse me. And my brothers and I would be standing there in our, in our pew, and all of a sudden, our pastor would just be like, As the deer panteth. This is my tryout, Nathan. For the water, so my soul. Anyways, you know, that took a lot to do that, you know. Uh, so, anyways, me and what we would be doing is exactly what you're doing. Me and my brothers would just be like, <laughs> "What is this panteth stuff and deers? I don't. We didn't get it." So, as a kid, I did not understand, but I see now in retrospect what a beautiful song really that was. I realize now what the psalmist is not doing, right? He's not thirsting mainly for relief from his threatening circumstances or to be relieved from his depression. He's not thirsting just for escape from his enemies or for their ruin. It's okay to want relief from your pain, and it's okay to want relief from your suffering and to pray for that. And it's even all right sometimes to pray for the defeat of oppressors and oppression. But more important than any of that is God himself. What good is it to be free from discouragement if we don't have God? God's not just there for us to turn to when we're going through something hard. In all circumstances, whether it's happy and joy-filled time, or it is the worst time ever, we see our ultimate thirst should always be for God. That's a major theme of the Psalms, right? No matter what we're working through, a wisdom psalm, a kingship psalm, or a psalm of lament, the goal is that we ultimately come to love God and praise Him and admire Him and know Him and fellowship with Him more. So times are either here or they're going to come for you. There's no escape in that. Tough times, that is. Our broken world assures you of this. And the beauty of what we have here is that God is working out his redemption. He has made a way to be free from spiritual depression and discouragement and has given us hope in our future. And practically, we have a community that we can get together with, and the purpose of this community is to push one another back into the truths of God, to build one another up, bear each other's burdens. So let's get serious about that. Because our time here is short. And God has graced us with such an opportunity to have people to walk with 
and people to walk with as we go and scatter from here, as we bring more and more people the gospel right and be Jesus' hands and feet. So if you're here today and you do not yet know Jesus in this way, then I hope that you make the choice to follow him. This life is hard, and only in Christ do we find ultimate purpose. You cannot just do it on your own. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life that you cannot live, and he died the death you deserve for your sin. He rose again, and he sits now at the right hand of God the Father, and one day he's going to come back and make all things new again. And while we live here on earth, the good news of what Jesus has done is that we can be reconciled to him right now and to each other. And then when he does come back to make things new, there will no longer be lamenting or depression or discouragement or pain or suffering in that time, just the joy of living in forever communion with others and with God himself. So now we're going to move into a time of communion. It's a time where believers come and we participate in a symbol that represents Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. If you have not yet taken Christ as your Lord, then use this time to reflect and to pray and to do so. If you have any questions, then uh, there will be some people in the back. I'm sure Pastor Matt will be back there, our lone pastor today. Um, and he would be more than willing to talk and pray with you. Um, so how we do communion here is you kind of just file through down the aisles and you take off a piece of the bread and you dip it. Uh, In the cup, we have juice and wine that you can take as your conscience leads you. The wine is on the cup marked with twine. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a God we can come to in times of trouble. I thank you that you are a God we can lean on in times of need. I thank you that you are a God that we can come to with all of our pain and all of our hurt and our suffering and that you're a God who has sent your only son to die for our sins I just pray now that as we take communion we remember that Um, I pray just practically as a community we get serious about uh, caring for one another and being open and transparent Um, just as we continue to to grow and gain more and more people I just ask that um, you help us to keep that culture of loving one another, bearing each other's burdens, um, and walking with each other through hard times. Let's pray that as we go from here, you would scatter us to the city to bring your love to those who don't know you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.